I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. I'm here with Bill Donaghy, who is from the Theology of the Body Institute. He's uh, sitting at the moment just outside Philadelphia in his home. We're, we're in COVID-19 times. Um, great to see you, Bill. Thanks for coming Thank on. Thank you, David, for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, um, Bill is has a special focus at the Theology of the Body Institute. Um, he um, is interested particularly in uh, the culture and beauty um, and teaches a course called The Way of Beauty. And so uh, we have a natural connection. And originally, um, he approached me um, maybe a year and a half ago, something like that, uh, to suggest that the Theology of the Body Institute and Pontifex might team up and see we could offer, uh, initially at that stage, accredited courses. And now uh, this has developed so that we offer the Master of Arts in the Theology of the Body and the New Evangelization, with some courses offered by uh, the Theology of the Body Institute, including Bill, um, in Philadelphia and workshops around the country. And then Pontifex, uh, who, which actually offers the degree, uh, offers online classes. And between us, we have this wonderful program, which has, was just launched this year. And already we're getting many students coming onto it. There seems to be a great demand there. So we're delighted. So Bill, over to you. Why don't you just begin? Uh, I'm always interested in this. Just tell us a little bit about your story in faith um, and what led you to a, a position where you were prepared to commit your life, your working life at least, that's a bit as I know, to the, mm -hmm. to the faith so strongly. Sure, sure. Thank you, David. Um, yeah, I, th I think now of my work and my life, really, the Lord has so laid it out that I, I really do the things that I love. Working at the Institute for um, 14 years now, Wow. teaching, speaking, writing about the theology of the body and beauty and art has just been, uh, it's kind of a dream job. So praise God for that. Yeah. But, but going back, really, I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic. I grew up with um, one younger brother in, uh, in southern New Jersey. And we, you know, my earliest memories, I mean, we went to Mass every Sunday, uh, randomly went to confession, went to Sunday school. Uh, but really, up until the age of 15, it was just sort of the cultural Catholicism. We just, we just did it. Mm. My mother was a convert to the faith because of her marriage to my father. But uh, around the age of 15 is when my parents divorced. And that was a defining moment, not just for them, obviously, but for my, my brother and I as well. Suddenly, my father had this kind of reawakening to the importance of his faith. And uh, he had a, a kind of a deeper reversion, we might say, into it. Um, and so the divorce happened. My parents went their separate ways. Um, my mother left the Catholic faith, which I don't know, again, how deep the roots were. It was sort of Catholic by marriage. Mm. Uh, and I love them both, have a wonderful relationship to both. But that sundering really it brought my dad back to a deep, deep faith. My brother and I sort of caught the wave of this and were raised by my father. And uh, I have an early experience of my dad taking us to Europe. We went to Fatima, Portugal. We went to the shrine of Fatima and 
the experience of seeing thousands of people at a candlelight procession, uh, people walking on their knees up to the Basilica Shrine where Our Lady appeared, the smell, you know, every, everything. My senses were bombarded by the smell of the candles burning, by the incense in the air. Fatima, the, the little hamlet itself, was so peaceful you could almost feel it. So I'm a teenager and I'm seeing this reality of God and I just got rocked, really. I, I, I feel like Our Lady kind of grabbed hold of my heart at that age too. Um, specifically, you know, where my mother sort of stepped away, I feel like Our Lady kind of came in. Um, not that my mother was ever unloving or anything like that, but the nurturing of my faith life, Our Lady of Fatima played a key role. So, uh, and beauty, I would say beauty played a key role too. I was always drawn to uh, art, to um, poetry, to great music. And the reintroduction to what Catholicism really was as a teenager, just I've, I really felt overwhelmed by it in a good way. You know, and I'm reading St. Alphonsus Liguori and Louis de Montfort, and I'm reading about this incredible tradition of art and beauty in the Catholic faith. And John Paul II was Pope. He was my Pope in the 70s and 80s. So I had this charismatic figure of, of a man also moved by poetry and art and creation. And so this perfect storm kind of came together and I just got formed. I think, but like so many um, of my generation, John Paul II became a spiritual father. So at the age of 16 is actually the first time I experienced theology of the body. It was 1986. I was at a Catholic bookstore in Northern New Jersey and uh, John Paul II's Catechesis, Theology of the Body, had just come out in publication. There were four books by the Daughters of St. Paul that came out separately. And uh, my parents just divorced. I look on this bookshelf at this bookstore and I see Original Unity of Man and Woman, uh, John Paul II. And it was his meditations on original man. And I just, I just kind of, I, I just went right to it. There was like that ache in the heart, you know, like, oh, I'm seeing disunion in my parents. This is a book about the original unity of man and woman. And I grabbed it and I started going through it and images and words and phrases came out. And I just thought, what, you know, I'm looking at the cover, who is this Pope John Paul II? And uh, I didn't do a deep dive into the actual text at that age of 16. It was definitely like, whew, it was a lot of rich material, as you know, John Paul's thought. But I can say without a doubt, the notes, like the melody of what is theology of the body got, got put into my heart and started circling around. And my image of God literally changed. You know, I think a lot of teenagers, right? We have this sort of like, he's, he's the landlord, you know, he's the father who lays down the rules and here's the rules. <clears throat> but I had a different take. And I think it was through that lens of beauty. Here's a God who made a beautiful creation, made man and woman the crown of it, called them to love, and uh, I know that just kind of stuck in me. So years go by, flash forward. I hear the tapes, the cassette tapes of Christopher West in 1999 or 2000, talking about theology of the body. And it's like, I know this, I remember this. I had loved John Paul too. Um, this brought me back headfirst right into the catechesis itself. The Institute was formed um, Actually, I gave the tapes to some friend, a friend of mine who actually formed the Institute with Christopher West and Matt Pinto. His name was David Savage. He was a friend and he said, we gotta make a, a place where we can form men and women in this. 
So when I gave him the tapes, he made some calls, later formed the Institute. They called me and said, would you want to speak for this Institute dedicated to spreading theology of the body? So I said, you know, well, give me a minute, literally a minute. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> you know? So since 2004, this has been my mission and my apostolate, and uh, praise God for that. Right. Uh, that, that's a great story. I, there's there's a, something that occurs to me that, um, <clears throat> about that. Um, I didn't know what you just told me. I, I, we chatted a little bit oh, about yeah. where we were going to go, so I didn't know your story. And, of course, there's a lot of um, publicity at the moment about the lack of fathers and the breakup of families. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and this is something that uh, the family is the, the cause of the stability in culture. And um, to see the fracturing of families, of course, causes great problems for kids. And I, and I don't think many, except for the sort of extreme left, uh, the, the Marxist influence which seeks to break up the family, um, are against that, actually, really. Um, but um, the, what, what, I would, what strikes me when you're telling your story is that uh, that's true, but all is not lost if you're part of the church. Um, that there is a greater, that our human father and our human mother and the, the, the family is a participation in something greater that is still available to us. Now, it is always better that that family, human family is there. Right. But, um, through God's grace, um, with the church and with the faith, there is a, a, an alternative, which is even greater, actually. Um, yeah. Not that you would wish that situation on any person, I'm not suggesting that, um, but there is always a route to um, a wonderful life through the church, regardless of our, of our situation. And your story tells me that, that, that here was a disaster mm. um, that led, well, you, you referred to yourself and your father. I think, you, did you say your brother as well? To, yes, to, yes, it was to also. A deeper, to a deeper faith. Now, again, um, no, no one is saying that we would wish that the initial that to be the reason, but mm. sometimes that's what we need. And um, and so, yes, it's heartwarming. You use the uh, the phrase of John Paul II being a spiritual father to compliment yes. your father, um, and then it struck me that you, you spoke you were talking of Our Lady as a spiritual mother. That you, you there, you're seeing these things as pointing. To a higher truth analogously actually yes yeah i, I feel like and I, I think many who might be tuning into this this podcast would share the wound of divorce either directly or indirectly yeah so so it's not you know it's 52 percent divorce rate i think even amongst catholic marriages so mm -hmm. the reality though that it, it awakes in me is everyone has an imperfect father or mother yes <laughs> thank you adam and eve like we're all dysfunctional yes even if a marriage is intact for 50 years there's inadequacies weaknesses things yeah. we picked up as sons and daughters so like i absolutely felt the maternity of our lady coming in to complete the whole the the uh, paternity of saint john paul ii to come in and complete to fill in the gaps and i think we can all say that right like uh, mm -hmm. I'm longing for mother and for father, you know, I, uh, there's a great, there's a great Terrence Malick film called Tree of Life. I'm not if you're familiar with uh, Terrence Malick, the filmmaker. The, the, the voiceover in the beginning of the film 
it's a wrestling match, the whole thing between um, his parents. She's a symbol of grace. The father is a symbol of sort of like the law. And he says, mother, father, always you wrestle within me, always you will. And I, I feel like that's our experience right today with all the unrest. But as you said, in the church, we have the perfect icon of mother and father, of masculine and feminine, which uh, oh, it's such a praise God, right? Praise God that we can look somewhere and find like, ah, oh, that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to feel like. And that helps me show mercy also to my own broken father and mother and my own. I'm a father of four and a husband. And man, I've got my own, you know, gaps and holes and weaknesses. So I can look to him to fill, fill the hole. I think, yes, I, I, I have a, um, two children and I, which I'm separated from their mother and the marriage is now annulled actually. But so, mm -hmm. and this, that is not what I, that was not by design. It was not through disregard for the Institute of Marriage. It happened. Um, right. And uh, might have been foolish. I don't know. But the, the point is that th th this, these things can happen to any of us, I think. Um, but one of the great things that I felt was that um, in, in the, the more the children see me acknowledging the the, um, that the father is greater than me. Yeah. Actually, the more it directs them to the ideal they ought to be looking at, and it somehow takes the weight of responsibility off me because I think about this a, a great deal, as you can imagine. What is the impact on them? Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm powerless to a certain degree. I can't. I can't make them be happy or have the faith, I, even if they were in the home the whole time. Um, but I think. Um, acknowledging that the, that my fatherhood is a, 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 an imperfect participation in something that is greater and in the hope that they will see that in the fact that I acknowledge it um, I, I'm, it, it gives me hope as a father is what I would say actually um, so I'd agree I'd agree and, and you know God bless that wound and our my wound our wound everyone's wound it's true when but as you said, when you're pointing, if your life's pointing to the Heavenly Father, yeah, the, the, the burden is lifted in a way. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I can still, as a young man, I can, I can go back and see myself looking at my father with his own, you know, weaknesses and, you know, the wreck of divorce, his stuff came out. But I can still see him kneeling in front of the statue of Our Lady of Fatima in our little home there, <laughs> saying the rosary, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, that burned into my brain like wow he's he's like aware of his need yes. he's aware of his need for the father to fill the gaps and so um now today i'm 50 years old and i i'm so aware of my own inadequacies inadequacies but now i can say yeah he can i gotta keep looking up john yes. paul II experienced that as well didn't he with his own father yes when john paul ii had so much rupture in his family it was that image of his faithful father at the bedside praying that uh, shaped him. Yes, that, um, yeah, that's a that's, that's funny. That's just what I was thinking as he spoke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so to come back to John Paul II, and that's a nice uh, sort of reintroduction. Um, you're now working at the the theology of the body. You're focusing on culture and beauty, and certain aspects of that drew you into this mission. Um, and then you approached Pontifex. So 
uh, I had been involved in the way of beauty, and I'm guess you're, guessing you're aware of that. Yes. But what what was it about what we do or what's the, our approach that made you think there would be um, a, a, some sort of complementarity here? Well, I think, you know, what, what is theology of the body and John Paul II's catechesis all about, but the transcendent dimension of the human person, right? That every person is in a way, as he says, a masterpiece, a work of art. When you look on the person, the body of man and woman, human interaction, human family, you can kind of like move through it into the divine. It's transcendent. And, you know, stumbling on your great work and what you're doing at Pontifex, I just remember we're looking at you like, wow, wow, how refreshing is this, that you're doing the same thing through sacred art. You're looking at those things that shape us and form us that are transcendent. So the complementarity of the focus on John Paul's uh, anthropology, theology of the body, coupled with how we bodies express it in sacred art, it's just sort of a winning combination. And I think also another reason to kind of like combine forces, you know, it's like the Justice League, superheroes combining forces, is that today, as we all know, truth has become so relativistic. Um, the transcendental of goodness is, well, well you know, it's, if that's good for you, it's not good for me. We've sort of weakened it, but beauty still, something about beauty still pierces the heart, still uh, makes us do this double take. It arrests our attention. And so, um, you know, like Bishop Robert Barron has said, the arrow point of evangelization should be beauty. And so, you know, you're, you're really servants of that. At the Institute, Theology of the Body Institute, we have always tried to be servants of him who is beauty. When we teach a course, we make the environment, we usually use retreat centers, um, one of which is a Mennonite retreat center, which sounds funny, but we bring sacred art. You know, we have beautiful icons uh, that we bring. We have a tabernacle. We have a mass with incense. Um, constantly, when I teach, my pedagogy is to use pieces of poetry, sculpture, art. We'll, we'll sometimes be doing the catechesis, pause and listen to a sacred work of music or something like that, that will allow us to be opened in a different way. And those who walk away from the experience, and I'm sure you'd say the same with Pontifex, from the experience of a course or study where beauty is the focus, it just, it kind of goes like right down here. And then from the heart's experience, it goes right back up. Like I now have an intellectual hunger for more. I want to know this rich heritage, this incredible 2000 year history of, of sacred art and this right. anthropology, you know, it just, it's, it feeds a, a hunger, doesn't it? Uh, oh, it does. Um, and I'm, I'm just wondering how uh, do you balance um, in your mind? It, it, because it's tricky territory. It's very easy to appeal to emotions in the wrong way, isn't it? And this happens, I find, even with, um, devout uh, Catholics who, with good intent. So I'm not talking about people, the, the liberals who don't care, if you sort of, I mean, I'm people, pious, good pious people. There is a, this temptation to uh, appeal to emotion. And it, there, there is a, it's not always obvious what the distinction is. I mean, if, some, if you recognize something's good, there can be emotions involved. Mm -hmm. um, but that isn't always the best sign. 
Uh, do you have an, a, an approach to trying to dis allow people to discern the difference, or should we say, properly yeah. directed emotion, if I can call it that? Let's talk to that subject as you as you wish. It's an awesome, awesome question, David. A very precise question, and a really important question, because we can absolutely, uh, you know, there can be an imbalance where we kind of slide over to one or the other. Mm. So we, I mean, from the very beginning by the grace of God and his spirit, right, moving in, because we just opened up our institute to the Holy Spirit, consecrated to Our Lady, help us do this right and not get in the way. Yeah. Right? And so we feel that there's always this kind of dance or holy tension between truth, beauty, and goodness, which are the big three transcendentals, right? Truth, beauty, and goodness. Yeah. So our emphasis, when we teach a course, our workbooks are um, filled with John Paul II's primary source material, Theology of the Body. We've got magisterial documents, papal encyclicals, um, quotes from the catechism. So truth becomes like this, uh, it's kind of the lodestar, you know, or um, the seat at the center. But as we press in, what surrounds it is prayer, uh, a consecration of the whole week to Our Lady, um, liturgy, also, time outside by the fireplace in the, in the lobby where students can gather and just be together. There's two and a half hours a day where it's just you can walk the woods. You can take time for prayer in our Adoration Chapel. And so this, this focus on the truth is allowed to like blossom into the experience of the beautiful, whether it be the liturgy, the human family that's gathered to study, or creation that surrounds them. And like then, then it just becomes good. You know, People start saying, it is good that we are here, you know, let us build three booths. You know, it's like St. Peter on the mountain. Yes. <laughs> you know? We want to stay We're like, well, no, we can't stay here, but you're experiencing the truth, but you have the, the room to breathe in the beautiful and let it hit your heart. Actually, a lot of our work is allowing our students who most of them are devout Catholics to let themselves experience emotion and beauty. Sometimes for the first time, they may have been a little imbalanced in the truth and the apologetics. Um, on the flip side, some may have been too much of an emphasis on the experience, the emotional mm. a high of religious experience or conversion or retreat. And so by, by this holy tension of truth, beauty, and goodness, you know, you see the fruits of the Spirit. So, but yeah, we're very aware. I mean, I will teach, we'll dive in. Let's say we dive in on day one into John Paul's breaking open of Genesis. So we have rich theological content and insight, very deep exegesis. But if I go 20, if I go over 25, 30 minutes with just rich quotes, you feel in the room, wait a minute, we, wow, you know, the, the, the truth bombs are blowing up, but I need to step back for a moment. So that's a moment when we'll look at some beautiful work of art by Michelangelo or Raphael or, uh, or, or an image, a fresco by Fra Angelico and just sit mm. there. Okay, we just talked about the theological reality of the incarnation. Let's look at this fresco. Let's play a work of uh, music. And then the, the trickle down starts to happen, you know. So, yeah. the, but that's the Lord who's provided that. So the pedagogy, we don't go more than 20, 25 minutes without something to supplement or complement right. so that the whole person gets involved. That's, that's great. I'm, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of... Um, in my course, uh, 
I'm trying to do the same thing. You want people to be engaged and involved. I have to do it via online um, presentations. But um, when you're looking at Gothic art and iconographic art, mm. th there is this emotional distance that, that, that is trying to pull you in in a different sort of way. But um, we're used to, uh, we're almost the products today of uh, romanticism, which emphasizes the emotions above everything. Mm. But what preceded the Romantic movement is the Baroque, which was at its best, um, was a different sort of approach to what had preceded that, which is to harness the emotions and direct them to God. Mm. Uh, the Romantic, in contrast, just says, just examine your emotions and just live them and feel them. And it doesn't matter what it is. It's all good. And, and yeah. Um, so I'm tr I, I was thinking about this myself and trying to distinguish between the two approaches. Um, and something that's occurred to me recently um, is that in uh, contemplative prayer or, or meditation, so for example, Lexio Divina, you have, you're engaging the mind, you're reading, as you described, and you, you know, that, that's the part of the classroom. Um, and then... Uh, you're thinking about it, you're getting the information, you're thinking about it. This is, so it starts here, it really does. Um, and then you're praying, um, and then the final stage is contemplatio. And you think, well, what, what on earth is that? You know, they say it's a gift from God. That's something God does to us. Right. And I've, I've spoken to Benedictine monks. How often do you experience contemplatio? They would, they would sort of be a bit vague or something. Um, and so I always imagined it's something like it's a once in a lifetime, you know, Teresa of Avila, you know, in yeah. ecstasy. That, but that's maybe at one point in my life, I might, I might be that, and Bernini will be coming and he'll do a statue of David Clayton in ecstasy, you know, that'll go in a, in a, in a church in Rome somewhere. But then it occurred to me, I don't think it can be that. That has to be an extraordinary circumstance. And what occurred to me is that it's actually, uh, what we feel is what seems natural when it occurs, not, um, even though it has a supernatural cause, and that is gratitude. And, and, but it's directed to God. In other words, I want, I feel good, but I know that it comes from God. And, and naturally, when I feel like that, I want to give thanks. And how do you do that? You you worship. You, right. you want to go to church and worship. Or you want to pass it on to others. You, you want others to have the good news because you know that this is good and it's just a natural response is yeah. what occurred to me. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so that, that it seems to me that your, the structure of your classes actually mirror that. Now you're talking about it. I hadn't thought about it for mine, but it's a mm. great way to, to do that. It's almost go through a little... Um, Lexio Divina cycle or a, a Conspexio Divina, whatever, however you call it. So, so yeah. feed the intellect, the prayer, and then just wait. And what you hope then is that people are moved to gratitude to God, and then they will desire to pass it on in, yeah. in the natural cycle. I'm, I'm thinking of so many things right now as you're talking, yeah. some great, yeah. great connections and insights. And this, this sort of... Um, the stages of Lexio, uh, the, the transcendentals, the three moving together. I remember John Paul writing about um, 
he always he said i always try to keep faith reason and the heart in a kind of movement oh. faith reason and the heart so he i guess we're following his uh his, his model or sharing in a model that he had that uh has this kind of relational movement you know where you're not stagnant in one and uh and we, we gotta have it's gotta be a movement and it ha but like you're saying it has to also be guided right Yes. When you were talking about romanticism, I was just looking up some stuff on uh, from C.S. Lewis this morning, and I, I hadn't read this before, but I saw it. C.S. Lewis said, uh, I think it was C.S. Lewis, romanticism is spilled religion, which I thought, mm. oh, man, spilled. In other words, just like feel it all. But rather than like guided, right? Like John Paul II talks about our eros being disciplined, our passion being disciplined and sublimated or lifted up. In an age of feeling, there's just there is no real structure anymore, right? And if there is no feeling, well, I just I just abandon it. But we're trying to create a kind of um, a house or structure or well liturgy, right? I mean, it's very liturgical, in which we experience in the dance all these things together: faith, reason, and the heart, or the intellect, the emotions, this, the will. And that's the whole person, right? And so you create an environment where people can realize I have, this is me, this is all of me. And these are all important. Faith, reason, the heart, intellect, emotions, will. I think that's what's really great about Pontifex, about the Institute. And there are other apostolates that are recognizing the totality of the person. Okay, not, not just one or the other, not like bifurcated, but all these things are made for us. And we can experience them all. And all of them are supposed to lead us up. Like, yeah. like the Gothic, Gothic architecture pointing up, right? Yes. And of course, the, the place where this should happen as a natural education is in the worship of God. The, the, so um, the great shame for me is that we can talk about the ideals and then sadly, so many people go into their churches and you, you just think, where can I recommend somebody to go? There are places, but many of them are not confirming that, that should be the highest expression of what we describe. The activity of the worship of God should in itself just confirm all these instincts or that you're stimulating in your class, really, yes. a, a capacity to receive God. And it should be offered in such a way that, that um, it feeds the senses as we naturally require, uh, uh, want to receive it. Um, and I think now that's we the next that. step. I think. I think, yeah, I think you're right, David. That is a major challenge and obstacle today yeah. to evangelization. But I think you mentioned like the Baroque period. Uh, there were periods of history and romanticism where we did kind of had it. You know, we kind of had it. Yeah. The cathedrals were the great catechisms. Yeah. And the people could enter in and be, and just by sight and by sound and even by smell, experience formation and religion. Yeah. And Religion meaning the bond, right? Be bound to the divine and lift it up. But yeah, I mean, I've been in, we've talked about this before. I've been in some ugly churches where yeah. I feel incongruence. I feel disjointed yeah. even in my body because the architecture is off or I don't have a focal point or the tabernacle is in some closet with the brooms in the back of the church. And I'm like, tell me, I, I need orientation. Yes. So we've got work to do, right? Pontifex. Well, we have. And what I would say is that, that um, it's not just you and me. Anybody listening to this 
Uh, this is my principle in life. If you think you can do this at least as badly as we are, get up and start doing it. Do better than we are. And some people, are, I hope, who are listening to this will be the ones who will work out how to uh, restore, shall we say, what is there. And this is a continuous process in the church. So I'm not pessimistic about this. This, this, is, this idea of, of us veering away and coming back or is as old as the church itself so uh, right and these are the opportunities that this, this is today's opportunity for people like us and we hope many of you listening and watching to this to contribute it's, that's the that's where the need is now and this is the mission we have um, let's let's do that david let's give yeah. a shout out to the students or just anyone who stumbled on this this podcast yeah please jump on board play a role because we need you to open up your hunger for you what you know will fill you transcendentals truth beauty goodness and we're trying to form schools where that can happen uh but yeah i mean the the fruits are abundant when students come through pontifex when students come through our institute tob institute the fruits of love peace joy rightness i mean we we have felt this call to be a kind of nexus our, our hope is a nexus where architects, psychologists, psychiatrists, youth ministers, mm. priests, artists, poets, you come in, you get formed in this authentic human formation, and then you, you go back and you radiate and imbue into your work this vision that always has truth, beauty, and goodness and the human person at the center. And then we're going to, we need a new renaissance, right? Which, yes. That's what we're talking about here is another renaissance. Yeah, a rebirth, literally rebirth. Yes. Um, now, I, I want to just change direction slightly. I, I, um, you brought to my notice the paintings of William Blake. I've been aware of them um, a little bit, but never really taken him that seriously, I have to admit. And then I saw your videos on uh, the, his, his portrayals of the Genesis uh, passages. Um, so I... I've got some I, I I've got some responses to what you were saying, but why don't you just tell us where where you did you discover him? Did someone show him to you? Because they're fascinating talks, and I don't know are those videos available still somewhere? They are. So the right. the, the TOB Institute, the Algebra Institute has a YouTube channel, and on under playlists, yeah, you can find Masterpiece Mondays. So it was a series of twelve episodes I did. Okay. that broke open some some works of art and i think william blake is in there a couple times so yeah i kind of fell into them david i think uh right. during when my hunger was being satiated by the renaissance and by the romantics actually wordsworth blake uh i was reading them and i saw that milton's paradise lost that william blake had done some illustrations for paradise lost so that's where the uh the commission came from and they were so mystical. And then when I learned more about theology of the body, I could look at the, you know, let's say the, 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 the temptation at the tree of life, Adam and Eve, William Blake paints this, the very body language of Adam turning his back away from Eve and Eve grasping. And you read John Paul II's thoughts and it just really illuminates it. But um, yeah, I kind of, I kind of fell into that. And for me, and I'm, I'm sure as you as well, the, as an artist, the visuals, you know, you can sit before it, and let it speak to you. And so the Masterpiece Mondays episodes were really just kind of, let's sit in front of this, coupled with what we know of Theology of the Body, and see what it says. Well, yeah, so 
What struck me, first of all, I, I do want to recommend to you go and uh, watch and listen to Bill's presentations in that, in that series. They're great. Um, now, with William Blake, it's, it's interesting because he is 18th century, I think, 1700s. Um, and it looks as, to me as though he's been trained um, as an artist. He has a very distinctive style. Um, but what, what he's, do, he's clearly influenced by uh, the neoclassical movement. So it, his figures look like Greek and Roman statues to mm -hmm, a degree. Mm -hmm. so, and that was the fashion of the day. Now, at the time, um, this was almost uh, driven very strongly, ultimately, by the French Revolution. Um, it was seen as a way of, of capturing a, a culture that excluded Christianity. I mean, it was, so in France, for example, it was a deliberate attempt to evoke imperial majesty and grandeur that, that predated Christianity and then could be associated with the state and with Napoleon, of course, eventually. So he pushed that. Um, and there was an element of that, a sort of um, a, a push for learning and culture that didn't engage Christianity. Now, of course, as with all things, Christ can transform anything and we can, we can take the good from it. And William Blake is a one-off. I don't know anybody else who use that um, visual vocabulary in the way that the way that he does um, uh, but it was interesting to see those that Greek and Roman ideal being used at that time in a such an individualistic way um, that really did balance the um, the ideal and the natural so we, you know, we're looking at the, we know what we're looking at when we see it it's, it's right. well drawn um, and then, as you say, um, very clear thought about the postures of the people, um, the relationships between them portrayed in the paintings. Yes. Um, and a lack of sentimentality, that, which uh, I like. Um, there's enough, there's a sense of, of emotional context, con connection between the figures. Um, but it's not overblown and, it, and I feel that it's not producing false emotion in the viewer, which is the problem of romanticism. The, the romantic ideal is just seeking to harness emotion and intensify it and pump it up uh, without directing it. Hi, um, sorry about that break. Uh, we had an interruption in the internet in the whole house and uh, I couldn't get Bill back, but uh, I want to say thank you very much to Bill Donaghy for a great conversation, um, and we'll certainly do it again. And apologies once more for the uh, interruption in the broadcast. Uh, we'll work out what happened, get it right next time. Thanks very much for listening, as ever. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.